that I think, you know, when you have your first couple of customers, you'll do anything for them, but it's really good to have a compass on what you know is to do. And if someone's really asking for it, you decide, is that already on our roadmap? Can we reprioritize it? But is, if it's not on the roadmap, don't do it. And, and we actually have a public roadmap. We, we did that from day one. We, we took our roadmap and we put it public. This is My Product Tested, the show that unpacks how successful founders have tested their way to the top and all the market validation that happened along the way. In studio, as always, from the Hype team, Miles Hofak and Cameron Calder, and here in studio this week, Matthew Henschel, founder of the South African startup Lesson Space. Matthew and his founding team have spent the last four years building a product that's on a mission to create the world's easiest online video and collaborative whiteboard platform out there. Matthew himself has founded more companies than Zapier Integrations, boasting a long list of epic products like RoomShare, Code for Kids, and Skill Up Tutors that have all successfully penetrated markets around the world. Serial entrepreneur and thought leader, Matthew is no man shy of a podcast and now in studio today. Matthew, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, Miles. Um, Zafi integrated. That's one I haven't heard yet. So that's terrific. <laughs> yeah, nice. super excited to have you. Um, I mean, met you now just over four years in um, on the lesson space. Um, and you've built a pretty epic product. Um, it's not just your standard video tool. Um, there's loads of tools that you've added in awesome features and you've built an epic brand as well. Um, but today in this very room, what is the lesson space? Yeah, thanks, Cam. Um, the lesson space it is, you know, depending who we talk to, but the easiest way to say it, Zoom for education. Um, we're trying to create a very niche tool um, to, to, instead of using Zoom for, for your online lesson, use, use lesson space. And it's very niche. So we really try and focus on small group tutoring. So up to 10 people in a class, uh, typically like your, your remedial teaching. Uh, we don't target universities. We don't target schools at the moment. Um, so there's a lot of in the list of the things we don't do, but we're very, very proud of what it is we do we do. do. And yeah, that's lesson space. For some audiences, we might say we Twilio for, for education if they've had experience with, with Twilio. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I like the Twilio reference. Mm. Um, and mm. I mean... You've built this over the past four years and uh, somewhat called a, a serial entrepreneur. And, you know, you have all these other businesses that you built over time. And typically what happens is you, you get these learnings that happen from one business that can be applied to another, or you've had these, uh, you know, personal experiences through your own uh, education or your own business experience. How has that kind of shaped where the lesson space product first came into the market and, you know, how it's evolved to today? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a short question with like, a, there's a big answer to that. But I think in like, you know, you know, we didn't set out to start four businesses. We, we set out to start one. Um, and, you know, we were, we were both, you know, often the advice like we'll give entrepreneurs is, you know, don't, you know, keep focus, keep focus, keep focus, keep focus. If you're trying to do everything for everyone, you, you end up doing nothing for, for, for no, like for anyone. Um, and, 
so it's 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 been a a journey where we first started skill up and we just realized the fundamentals of the business weren't working we weren't honest enough with ourselves. Um, you know, it was a B2C business, South African market in education, remedial. It wasn't like, you know, we think, we, you know, if you think of online tu- or tutoring, it's not like uh, most families wake up every month and they decide to put a budget for tutoring, right? It's a difficult sell. It's a difficult thing to do. Um, and it, everything was about cost per acquisition, lifetime value. And I think it took us about three years of that to realize that we just, to get that right, required immense amounts of funding or finding a really unique way to acquire customers at a very low price. We were very fortunate to have the company acquired last year. And that was by somebody who has a very big audience. So the cost per acquisition is very, very low, right? It makes a lot of sense to them. We pivoted, you know, out of that, if you like, um, to building software. And I think it was a number of reasons that pushed us in that way of like, when you say building a product, but building a business. The number one thing was we were engineers, four, four founders originally. And, you know, this was far more something that we could really bite our teeth into and become like the best software tool, not necessarily the cheapest. You know, when they talk about your USPs, you often went to look for the ES, the ST, so the most, this, the best, this, the smallest, this. Um, and we were always the cheapest or the fastest. And what would be nice is, or the most convenient, what has been nice with Lesson Space and, and you know, Code for Kids, a couple of other products, Room that Share, it's, it's really about being the best quality. And that's been cool. So we could go down and build the best software we could build. And, and that's what we did. We also fundamentally, it's a different, it's a different revenue model. It's, you know, software as a service, B2B, mm. $10. And when mm. we, well, we got rocking in skill up, we, we were trying to focus on South Africa where when we did lesson space, we, we have a quarterly theme every, every quarter. And the first quarter theme we had was uh, international first. We said we weren't going to be a South African company well, as South African market, we we're going to be first and foremost an international market. So our first customer was overseas, or our first five customers were overseas. It took us ages to get South African customers, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting that you, uh, you know, you you made that decision to expand and and build the software that could be targeted in 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 loads of different markets. Uh, what was that sort of original problem that you were trying to solve, and and how did you, the four of you, come together with that idea? Yeah. The, I think the big, so what actually happened, SkillUp was a tutor marketplace. You book a lesson uh, with the tutor and you typically would, the tutor would come to your house. And if it was online, you'd do Skype or Zoom. Zoom wasn't even that big, you know, seven years ago. And um, uh, we, we then decided to try and use some off-the-shelf software to enhance the learning environment. So for example, you can think of Zoom or any audio video uh, communication tool as having two sensors. It's what you hear. Uh, and it's what you see. And we try to bring in the third sensor. So what you hear, what you see, and how you interact, your touch. Like, are you engaging, touching, the, you know, working with the whiteboard or the moving things around or graphs or, or whatever it is or drawing. So we use some off-the-shelf software and it, you know, was kind of the only real solution and it really didn't work for us. Our tutors kept reverting back to Zoom. And we kind of actually just thought, well, why don't we just build one ourselves? We're not going to pump any more money into this massive acquisition mm. cost. So we started building our own software. And for about six months, we just iterated it really tightly with a lot of tutors. You know, they, they'd give us feedback. We'd sit up at night and build what they said. We didn't have any intention of kind of turning into a SaaS. And then we kind of got it to a good point and we created a blog article on like the new space that we had built. 
And then we literally triggered a Google alert out of total luck. And in one weekend, we had three North American companies, two in the US, one in Canada, contact us and say, could we use your software? And we're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And those three customers, you know, that called us like four or five years ago are still our customers today. Um, yeah, and it was luck. And we just thought, oh, shucks, we can charge in dollars. We can, you know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of earning we were getting in South African rands. So yeah, it just made, it just made sense for us. And like, we literally that weekend pulled out the API and got the, got the, the software to them. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Like you say luck, but there's so much work that went into it before there mm. to, to kind of be positioned for you to be lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, what's quite interesting is, you know, we've over the course of our sort of tenure, we've met a lot of, um, you know, ed tech type companies that, that want to work with us. And, you know, what we've realized is a lot of them are pulling tools together to make their own or, they are using an existing LMS um, to, you know, sell to other companies or to direct to consumer. And there's just no depth to it because, you know, they haven't done what you've done and actually got that customer feedback and, you know, worked with the actual uh, target audience or the actual users to work out what's, what's useful. So when you kind of first started and you're solving that initial problem, um, you spoke about these iterations that took place. What, what was the first you know, after that six months, what did the product look like back then? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> gee, that's a good question. And like, it's never pretty uh, when you look at it relative to, to, to this. I think the biggest, yo, there's so much I could talk about in this. I think there's a, like one of the most powerful things was we were our own customer. And that was a really good thing, but it turned out to have like a little bit of a ceiling. So the very first product was very much built for us. And what I mean by that is like, we had a South African server. So all the lessons were happening in South Africa, we had a South African server. So the second somebody in the US went on it, it was like a huge latency issue, right? So those are the first kind of like, not how did the product look? What were the proper, like coming of the product that were difficult? Hmm. The next thing was we were typically had a large majority of customers using it for maths. So we had a lot of like maths tools and a very rudimental whiteboard. and then, you know, as we grew, we found that a lot of people use it for teaching language for younger students. So we need a lot more tools to assist like younger students. Um, a big thing, something I, I will often iterate to the team and, 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 and maybe fairly entrepreneurs is that if you want to scale a business, it's about what you take away, not what you add. And, and that goes through everything, the processes you have, the focus you go, but it also goes into how we think about our product design. So when, if you were to look at our product four years ago, you might find it with more bells and whistles than it has today. And now it's actually far more polished and what's there works exactly as it should work. And we've really tried to think about that first mile design, like how product works first, that first mile. So somebody is, is as you know, if you look at one of our competitors, as you join the product, there's a whole tutorial of how to use the product. Right? We, we, one of our, our, our design values is the pen and paper of the internet. It has to be as easy to use as pen and paper. You don't get a tutorial on how to use a pencil, maybe how to hold it correctly, but you don't get told <laughs> how you, you kind of inherently mm-hmm. understand how it works. So we use those kind of things as compass, like you shouldn't need troubleshooting. You shouldn't need um, a tutorial. It should just work and you should explore it and you should get to know the product as you interact with the product. So I think a lot of what it looks like differently, it is much more niche, much less complex than it used to be. Yeah, and more reliable the things that are there. Yeah, 
No, I think I think it's interesting because you know we use Miro as you know mm. one of our, our key tools, which I mean mm. is this this kind of whiteboard for us. Um, and you know as we go through it, it's it's a mass, massive value add for us because mm. it feels intuitive for for our company and the mm. way that we do things. And as you say, it's like you know it must feel that pen and paper for the internet kind of feel mm. where you know you almost like have this whiteboard in your office that you're working with. Otherwise, mm. there's no point of using it because you mm. don't get the value out of it. Um, mm. And when you kind of launched that initial MVP um, and you were testing that over the, the sort of six months or so, then you got these five customers. Once they started using it with, with any sort of key metrics you're looking at for, for usage or, or attention with these guys that they, they're staying with you or is it more sort of a qualitative type feel where you know they're just giving you great feedback about the product or or to iterate certain features? Yeah, I mean, the honest answer is no. We didn't look at a single KPI. You know, we just were building like crazy and trying to sell like crazy then when we, when we took this kind of pivot, if you like. Um, obviously, if somebody unsubscribed, you know, we, we, we have a couple hundred customers. We don't have like 10,000, you know, so because we, we work with businesses. And I think when someone unsubscribed, we drop everything we do and try and figure out why they unsubscribed. Right. So there, there was that, that, and like our key metric that we use now, and it wasn't back then, is billable hours. How many hours of lessons are happening between? So, a billable hour for us is whenever there's more than two people on, on a call. So, and, and a person has their car details. So, it's not like in a free trial or something. So, we just care how many hours of those lessons are happening. That's the key. It's the kind of North Star KPI. And I think a key part of that is we always, structured our billing one of our values we have three values in the company the third value is how we think about customers and that is make people make money right so we we think about why should somebody work with us and we, we say well we get to like make you money right it's it's pretty easy sell if you can say well we're going to make you money right and we, we for, for some of our enterprise customers it, get, it gets a little more complex on how we kind of can do that for them but for a very fundamental level if you think of something like zoom now, Zoom, you're charging, I think it's 19 or whatever dollars a month that you're paying. Now, Zoom is actually incentivized for you to have fewer calls because Zoom pays for bandwidth. So the less you use Zoom, the more money Zoom makes. So the incentive is actually misaligned to yours. So we've done that the other way around where our customers are typically earning money on a per hour of lesson. And therefore, we only charge them on a per hour of lesson. So the more lessons our customers have, the more money we make, the more money they make. So we always were interested in what can we do to keep that student longer? Your student mm -hmm. only stayed for three lessons. How do you, why, what do you think you could do for making them stay for 30 lessons? Well, it would be nice to be able to assign homework or keep PDFs in one mm -hmm. place or have them. So now a big KPI we look at is like, how frequently is a student coming back to their space without the tutor to do homework or revision or watch a video? And that's been a really interesting one. But back in the day when it started, it was just a mad scramble. Yeah, it's fascinating how, how you know, as, as you grow and as the platform evolves, it sort of services its customers in, in different ways. And you realize what you need to take away or what you need to add. But as you say, it's, um, it's often a case of just refining it and it constantly iterating over time. Mm. Um, what was one of the biggest challenges or obstacles that you faced uh, during that growth period? And how did you, how did you work through that? How did you overcome it? 
I think one of the toughest things to do, we realize, and we've got a lot better at it, is like to say no to customers. Um, like we had a customer who was conducting a lot of lessons in, uh, in Dubai. And um, there's, a, there's a pretty mean firewall in Dubai. And we had built a little tool that was able to kind of try and navigate around it. It took us a lot of time. And the customer had lots of demands. And we should have just said, no, this is not what we do. We now have a tool, which is great, but like we should, we should have said no earlier. And I think we've got a lot better at that. And like, that's one of the advantages of trying to run multiple businesses at once, I suppose. You kind of, you, your, your learning process kind of gets compounded quite nicely. But I think, you know, when you have your first couple of customers, you'll do anything for them, but it's really good to have a compass on what you know is to do. And if someone's really asking for it, you decide, is that already on our roadmap? Can we reprioritize it? But is, if it's not on the roadmap, don't do it. And, and we actually have a public roadmap. We, we did that from day one. We, we took our roadmap and we put it public. And it's, you can find it on our website and you can see everything we're building. And we put that there so that our customers know what we are and what we're trying to be. And if somebody asks us for something that's on the roadmap, we might reprioritize it. But if they ask for something that's not on the roadmap, it, gets, it goes through a lot of scrutiny before we decide to add it. You know, we want to be the best one-on-one to small group tutoring company. And when customers say, why should we use you and not someone else? We say, because we are, that's all we're doing, right? We are obsessed with small group tutoring. That's what we do. You will find no one doing just that. Everyone's trying to do that and classrooms and universities and groups and an LMS and a billing and scheduling. We're just doing the software for one-on-one tutoring. You know, that's what we're obsessed with. And that's why we have some of the biggest companies in the, in the industry. Mm. But it also means that, if somebody asks us, we, we have customers who will leave us because we don't have 30 people in a group. But that's a whole world. That's a whole different product that we mm. haven't decided to focus on. And, you know, so we say no to those customers a little bit more confidently now, not stressing about our bottom line as much. Yeah. I guess the, the to say no is it doesn't always feel as straightforward as it is. You know, mm. There's, mm. it's kind of like, um, no, but maybe. <laughs> You know, and I I think teaching that culture throughout the company is important where, you know, each Mm. individual knows exactly what the product is and which customers we're going after. And Mm. I think, you know, everyone talks about this uh, dreamland of an ideal go-to-market strategy. um, And Mm. you guys, you guys kind of launched with a blog and suddenly you had customers. Mm. Um, Mm. What what did that look like at the beginning? Because I would imagine that blog was just to get the word out there and then, you know, so amazingly, you brought on customers from that. And then suddenly you need to build an engine that's producing customers over time. And then you start looking at your acquisition costs and all of those things. What did that look like in the beginning? And how's that adapted over time? Um, I would imagine there's some big learnings that you've taken from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the blog was just announcing our tutoring company. It wasn't even announcing the software. It was like in a couple of days or weeks where we like, bought the lessonspace.com domain and went and like started this company and put some front end there and some back end work. And I think, um, I think, so we're talking 2017 now. So we like way before COVID, right? And we did two things I think that worked very well. And you use the word like the machine or the engine, how do you build this, this machine? And I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. And all I can say over the years is we've never, thrown out the machine uh, drawings. We always kind of, the machine function is the same. It's just as constantly, constantly getting upgraded the machine. And you know, it was right in the beginning, we, 
we had these kind of three, five first customers quite quickly got them, got some revenue and thought, oh, this is something. And then it was quite literally get a list of the 6,000 tutoring companies in the world who we could target and email every single one of them, you know, three or four times. And we did that. And that's how we got the first hundred customers, LinkedIn, every single one of them, basically, you know, um, email every single one of them, contact them on their face. And it was all determined to try and say, well, can we get a yes or a no? Um, we're not going to accept like nothing. Um, and yeah, the, you know, not the highest conversions you get on something like that, but there is a conversion. And then something else we did that worked really, really well was we looked at who was serving our same customer who wasn't a competitor. And like I say, we are really niche and just saying we will be the online video tool. Now, there's a lot of people who are, who are building scheduling systems and payment gateways. And there are a lot of people doing it because it's quite a bit more complex in who your customer is. You have, a, you know, there's some customers who would be still our customers need one thing, someone who's still our customer but needs something completely differently from a scheduling perspective. Whether it's a classroom, one-on-one, a B2B, some various form. So we, again, 2017, 2018, we went and partnered with a lot of these resellers to resell our software and plug in our API directly into their software. And that was a really um, lucky move because when, when, when COVID hit, a lot of those customers actually first went to those other customers first and then came to us, uh, you know, to work with both of us as opposed to coming to us and then finding our customers. Um, so, yeah, and then the kind of machine got broken a bit, I suppose, during COVID because it was this huge inbound. We're very, very lucky for it. Um, and now we sort of have been rebuilding the machine again the last year. And same, it's the same process, like disciplined. Mm. We, we don't say hard work pays. We say uh, consistency pays, like be mm. consistent every day just hit the same drum you know every every day you just gotta you gotta like run that machine yeah. and it works mm. yeah i think especially if you are if you realize that you're onto an amazing idea and you really actually believe in in what you're doing which it definitely sounds like uh you know that's the case for you guys mm. uh after testing that that initial mvp in the market how long did it take you to realize that there's a bigger opportunity here um, hmm. I'm trying to think what we thought then. It's easy to look at it now, but I think you've, you've thought so much between that time. So it's, yeah, <laughs> it's difficult exactly. to recall that. Yeah. I think actually we weren't very confident about our product in the early days. Um, you know, we would, we would actually internally sit around and say, guys, we, we're trying to build some, an online tutoring that's better than in-person tutoring. Now, this is like 2017, 2018, 2019. Mm. And we would never really have the confidence to say that to a customer because most customers would kind of put their nose up at you and say, no, in-person in tutoring is the best. We will use online when we can't, when it's, when, it's, when it's not possible to be in person. So we actually used to say to our customers, we want to make this as good as in-person or as close to it as in-person as possible. But we never kind of had the guts to say we wanted to be better than. And I think... We've changed in how we now we can see that it's better than in person. We can see the value over just like the fact that it saves you time and transport and safety and all these things. We can actually see the value in, in having active learning really, really be used and, and, and utilize a lot of the tools the internet offers. So I think, you know, in answer, like, I think we weren't, I don't think we actually just, we saw that there was a need for it, but I don't think we realized 
we weren't very confident about that. So, you know, we actually were growing another business at the time that was, was doing a lot better before COVID. And this business was something we just like really enjoyed the product. We really enjoyed what it was doing and the effect that it was having on our tutors. And we were definitely trying to sell it, but the sales were hard because it was really difficult to say why. And then when, we, when the why got answered dramatically with COVID, it became a lot easier. We became a lot more confident in, in, in that. Yeah, I think that's how we thought back then. Yeah. I mean, thinking back then, going back to the start, you, you spoke about this problem that you were solving. Um, mm. And also you, you talk about the EST and the, the mm. cheapest or fastest. Um, the, you know, the problem that you were solving back then, do you, do you think it's the same as what you're still solving today? And what kind of is the, the cornerstone for your product roadmap that you, you're rolling out for the next six months or so? Yeah. So we've got some really cool ways of like, quantifying that kind of, if you like, qualitative information. And how, how does the future look? We follow something called the OPSP, the one-page strategic plan. It's, um, it's from a book called Scaling Up, which was something that the Paddock brothers who sold Get Smarter had recommended, I, I read. And I remember spending one winter just like diving into this book. And the OPSP, it forces you to look on like a 12-month perspective, and it doesn't actually really ask you to look much further. Um, and then it focuses you to prioritize your 90 days in a very, very tight loop. And it's a really nice like, time frame. It's a really nice system, how you think about your values. So in your OPSP, you have a core. This is really what makes you you. And in that core, you have your values. I mentioned our third one, which is make people make money. Our first one is begin with the end of mind. It's how we think about product. It's, it's you know, maybe a nice antidote for, for that, I can, that can add a bit later. Uh, the second one is stab in the front. It's how we think about team. Um, stand in the front, pack on the back. You know, we, we don't even talk behind people's back. And the third one is how we think about our customers, make people make money. And underneath that is our purpose. And our purpose is make teaching easier. And make teaching easier is, is, is our compass. That is what we try and do in all of our products, make teaching easier. It used to be makes, make learning easier. Um, but we realized like learning needs to be a level of difficulty. So we actually, everything we do is trying to make teaching easier, save a teacher time, make a teacher feel like a superhero, make it make anything a teacher needs at their fingertips. And I think mm. that that's always been our compass. And what we do is we do a periodic review. It's called, it's something called the product market fit engine that I first discovered from the CEO of superhuman um, that email service. There's a great YouTube video on it. You, you can find um, product market fit engine CEO of superhuman will do it. Mm. I think it's Raul. And it's, um, he goes through a very quantitative way of measuring if you have product market fit and iterating on the features that you still need. So we will send that to all of our customers, our paying customers at the end of every quarter, or we do it at least three times a year. And we ask our customers, what do you love? What do you not love? Mm -hmm. And the way we listen to them, the way we try and figure out what it is that they need is that is actually how we design our road, our roadmap. So we, we, mm. don't we don't really sit around and just throw ideas at a paper, at a, at a whiteboard. We, I mean, we do that, but the thing, the compass is our customers. The compass is always going to be mm. our compasses through the lens of, is this going to make teaching easier? And that's kind of how yeah. we, we drive product. What would you say is the next most exciting feature uh, on your product, product roadmap uh, that will make teaching easier? The next most exciting. So we've got some really cool things coming out. And I think a lot of them are very subtle changes that might not be, that might not sound very exciting from, from a, you know, 
from someone who hasn't used our product, um, we've got a huge, um, and, 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 what, and what that changes that I'm very excited about, something we call WISIS, what you see, I see. And the whole idea is that every time you are looking at something, I'm looking at exactly that. Now, if, you know, if you're sharing a screen, it's not always the case, but you can't interact with a shared screen as easily. Um, or you can take over controls and one of you can interact with something like Zoom. So we've got this thing that we've built. Our, our CTO has been kind of leading the project where everything that a customer does on the screen or that a student or tutor does, it is immediately um, seen and, and interacted with. Not just seen, it's actually, it is on the other customer's computer. Um, and it doesn't sound super exciting, but it gives us a huge opportunity to do some very cool things. Um, mm. One of the big things we're doing is creating like a very big maths tool set now that allows something like a Desmos calculator, which again is very niche in the industry to be able to be used. That's something we're very excited about. From I think a higher level perspective, we, we have some really interesting things happening with asynchronous learning and playback. So for example, if you had a couple of people on a lesson and somebody was late and you and I were having the lesson and the third person was late, they could actually join the lesson and they could watch the lesson at two times speed until they caught up to the live lesson. And there's some really cool things happening around it's that. Amazing. Yeah. Mm. So you can, and, and then why do they even need to be there for the lesson? They could interact with the lesson and they could leave things in the lesson and then actually have be interacting with the lesson, even if it's not technically live. So there's like quite interesting things we're doing there that, yeah, I'm very, very excited about. Yeah. Well, I guess you kind of uh, start with this wide net that you originally began in trying to solve this problem and then you're iterating over time very intensively over that six months and then you start finding somewhat of product market fit and then where you are now is basically building more granular product features where you know that they might be small features but the impact is so great because you've done your analysis on the customers you know what the problem is you know whether the needs are there and you know how to prioritize that um, so you know really great to hear that you have such a strong methodology in place and so clinical about you know how you release features and and at the same time still building a really strong brand you know we obviously follow you guys on linkedin and your releases of your products builds excitement and you know that excitement is a culture of you know new introductions and meaning that you know learning can be this exciting place where it doesn't have to be this tedious experience so um, matt thank you so much for your time you know we've loved having you in the studio and uh, we're going to continue watching you guys for the next four years and we're excited to see what the next 12 months uh, is in store for you guys. Yeah, thank you, Miles. Thank you, Cameron. It's been such a, a pleasure speaking to you both and thank you for creating the platform to discuss these, these kind of problems. It's been really great listening to your podcasts um, and yeah, thank you, for the, thank you for the time today. Awesome, Matt. So good to have you. Cool. What do we think? Yeah, serious serial founder he is. Uh, but I think that what you know, the way that they're seeing it, uh, the way that they're, you know, I, I don't want to use the use the word, but I will revolutionizing the um, education online and and how their sort of main focus is on interaction. You know, he talks about uh, adding the third sense of touch and having it not just be and sound and, and sight. So, yeah, I mean, really, really exciting business. Yeah, I mean, the man himself, he's a, he's a product guy. You know, he's yeah. 
is, is very much focused on prioritization, customer feedback, these sprints over the 90 days, and he's mapped out the next 12 months. Um, hmm. So you can kind of see the background. He's an engineer himself, but he also has a business mind. So I think he's he's built something really strong and how they kind of iterate over the next sort of year to hmm. two years with the existing customers is going to be interesting to see. I also find it fascinating that they've made their product roadmap public. I think that's really, really interesting. You know, uh, if you have an idea as a, as a customer and you want to share it with them, you can just go and check their product roadmap out, see if it's really mapped out there. And if not, then you can touch base with them and hopefully they, they're open to your, your ideas. But I think it's, it's really, really cool that their customers can see what their plans are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, another interesting point is his kind of pivot from B2C to B2B and then later into enterprise. And he's, you know, now they're just hooking up APIs to these big companies that are distribution, distributing to their users. So, mm. yeah, very exciting to see that they've kind of hit their rhythm. And as he said, it's only happened in the last, the last year and they've been around for four years. So interesting to see. Great guy. Um, I like the attitude. They have a, a cool team behind them as well. So excited to see what it looks like and hopefully we can get them back on the podcast in about a year's time. That's um, Matthew Henschel, founder of the South African EdTech startup, um, The Lesson Space. Guys, thanks for listening to another week. It's been an epic uh, episode. Um, we can catch you guys next week for another episode of My Product Tested.